Welcome to Grab Life Big. Grab Life Big. The exclusive podcast for healthy, wealthy, generous men who choose to lead epic life. Or as a few of us say, badass rich guys who do epic shit. And now, your host, Pat Hybin. If this is empty, this doesn't matter. Glad you were home. I'm always home. I'm on cool. Me too. You're doing great, dude. The only true currency in this bankrupt world is what you share with someone else when you're on cool. Is it my advice to you? And I know you think these guys are your friends. If you want to be a true friend to them, be honest and unmerciful. Wrong Tribe Confounds, The Right Tribe Compounds. Get your free copy of the runaway bestseller Tribe of Millionaires, a $20 value at tribeofmillionaires.com free. Just pay the shipping. That's tribeofmillionaires.com. All right, GoBros, we are in the GoBro room with Mr. David Green, a greenie as he is so affectionately known, and... Uh, we're going to do his one sheet and uh, get down to some nitty gritty. Granny, welcome. Thank you, Pat. Appreciate it, man. Hey, uh, let's do a five-minute story on David Green from the day you were born till now. Okay, that's good. I was born, don't remember much about that day, but some of my earliest childhood memories were you know, going to church as a really young kid with my family. My dad was a house painter and kind of like handyman. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, and then eventually she ended up going to church. Or sorry, she ended up going to uh, had church in my mind. She ended up going to to school to be a teacher, and she ended up becoming a, a, a vice principal and now a principal. So I started off playing sports as a young kid. That was a really big part of my life. My dad coached me in baseball, and then I moved on to really just falling in love with basketball. And basketball kind of became like, in my opinion, the foundation for everything that I ended up doing later were the skills and the habits and the confidence that I built playing basketball. I, I still, to this day, use a ton of analogies when describing something from that perspective because that's how my mind worked. I had a really, really rough senior year. Basically, when I was a sophomore, the coach asked me to play varsity. I was kind of on the fast track to doing really well. And then we had a new coach come in my senior year. He really liked me as a person, but he did not like me as a player. And I, I ended up sitting the bench which was crazy because I was the best that I had ever been. He just didn't really like my style. And that did a lot of harm to my confidence. I left college not feeling or, or high school not feeling that great about myself. I wanted to go play basketball in college and I didn't have the confidence to pursue it. I spent the next couple of years of my life honestly just being depressed and suffering from a lack of confidence and not wanting to try new things at all and just thinking that I was kind of worthless. That had always been a struggle growing up in a tough environment. And then I ended up uh, graduating college and deciding I wanted to get into law enforcement. So I uh, applied about 12 different times to get into a job as a cop, extremely difficult. Every single time I got told no was another round of rejection, which is exactly what I was afraid of because I'd kind of gone through some times in life where that had happened. And as a man, that's like our biggest fear is being told you're not good enough. You know, being cut from a team or fired from a job or told you can't make it, you don't have what it takes is just the one thing that we're all desperately running away from and trying to avoid. And I was getting told that over and over and over. So I had to walk through that very difficult path. And I think that kind of helped my relationship with God a lot as I started leaning on, on him a lot more. And then I finally got accepted into a police academy. I, I made it through. I ended up one of the top people in the entire class. And we had one of the toughest classes that ever come through. So that was really good. I went through the training that a, a cop gets. And I basically just had to rebuild my whole mindset. All, all that stuff, I, the doubt that I used to have about myself, the, the negative thoughts, you just do not have any room for that when you're in life and death situations all the time. And other people are counting on you. And you're looked up to as the one who has to come through. And it really forced me to challenge a lot of those things that I was thinking. And, and really through taking the right action over coming. So I stopped seeing myself that way because I had this whole new bank of memories of times I did come through and I was good enough. And that was, you know, kind of the next level of evolution in my life, I'd say, is, is, is the confidence I developed through going through that. Developed an injury in my feet. Um, I started buying rental property during that time and I got pretty good at buying investment property. 
realized I couldn't be a cop anymore, went and got my real estate license, started doing that, ended up becoming the top producer in my office, learned a whole new set of stuff to just comes from having to be nice to people and building relationships. And none of the stuff you got to do as a cop, right? Didn't have to worry about any of that. Um, spent the last three years getting my teeth kicked in, but I've been the top agent in my Keller Williams every single year. And my production's pretty good with that business. And then ended up taking over as uh, the co-host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, wrote a couple of best-selling books for Bigger Pockets. And now I'm kind of moving into the space of being an educator in the real estate realm, as well as a, a producer myself. Holy dirt, man. That is, uh, that is a great story. And so how long were you a cop? 10 years. No shit. Okay. And, um, so now, now let's talk about money. Like how do you, how are you making money today? Well, it seems to me like you make money in real estate commissions, you make money from your investments, uh, horizontal income, and you make money from the two books you write at bigger pockets. What, is there anything else I'm missing? Yeah. I also run a, a private mastermind that's like success coaching basically. So I teach people the things that I learned to get from where I was to where I'm at now. And it's still a journey. Like I'm super into learning new stuff. So every time I go abundance, they bring in some speaker, you know, I'm trying to think of an example, but like a Hal Elrod type guy who says, Hey, you got to stop thinking that way. You got to think this way. That whole, like can't change it philosophy that he has. That's good stuff. And I'll take that information. I'll teach it to the people that are in this group. It's similar to like an M1 type of a thing where they want to become millionaires and, and I'm teaching them, Hey, these are the things that we use. So I, I earned some revenue from that. And then I also flip houses, flip a couple of those a year. So I get revenue coming in from there. There's something else I was thinking about while you were talking. It's not coming to mind right now that I earn revenue from, I get a lot of like referral fees from, from other agents. I do a little bit of coaching where people pay me to coach them how to invest in real estate. I can't remember what the other thing was, but it's pretty well spread out. I probably have, I would say eight to 10 different income streams right now. Jeez. Okay. So let's take the eight to 10, right? Which one makes you the most, which one makes is and I'm not talking about I guess we can include flipping, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm not talking about equity. I'm talking about yeah. earned income, Gosh. right? Shit you got to pay taxes on. Uh, which one makes you the most? Selling houses by far. Selling houses by far. Okay. Yeah. Where do you want that? To, what Do you want that in 10 years or five years? Which one of those five to 10 do you want to be the one that makes you the most taxable income? Okay. So that's really good. Like five, 10 years from now, I want to be making the most money from educating other people how to, how to buy real estate. And probably that mastermind that I'm talking about has the biggest chance of, of becoming something very big, very easy to scale. And it's picking up momentum really fast. And tell me about that. Is it like for beginners? Is it for not, you know, people that have done this before? Who's it for? You know, it's for anyone who's at A and wants to get to B is the quickest way to put it, right? So I've got a couple of people in there with a net worth higher than mine. It's kind of crazy, but they, there's the guys that eat it up the most, right? They get the most out of every single thing. They talk about it the most. We got a lot of people that are making maybe a hundred, 200 grand a year, and they've got a little bit of money and they're trying to figure out what do you do with all this? You know, it's like taking a guy in the gym who's got some muscles, but he doesn't know how to play the sport. So we're teaching them the fundamentals of how you would apply the opportunity that you have. It's mostly for anyone that just understands the value of the right mindset is what it takes to be really good. Um, that's been on my mind a lot lately is it doesn't matter what knowledge I put into my brain. It doesn't matter what course I take. All the information in the world is useless to me if I don't have the right mindset with which to process it and then go apply it. So um, financially, I don't know if it matters big where people are at because my, my belief is that anybody in the world, you can take a guy making eight bucks an hour within six months, if he has the right mindset, can be making a hundred grand. Just the right opportunity, learns how to bring value first, quits right, making right. And, and And you're talking about making a hundred grand in rental profits from no, buying no, houses and renting like them out? Through a job. You know, just through the a job. Oh, this is yeah. just randoms, right? Yeah. Just, a, a, a random person just on the street working at 7 Eleven, checking your soda. If that person says, I want more and quits making excuses and removes the things that's holding themselves back, there's no reason in America they can't be making a hundred grand. And and the the more that I kind of move up myself in owning a business and looking for talent, meeting people like you that are trying to do the same, the more I see that there is a wild need for talented people to just get the stuff done that has to be done in a business. And there's very few people that are willing to do that. And it's not that they don't have the skill to do it. It's just that they don't want to have to challenge the parts of themselves that are holding them back. 
You know, like you, you start talking to someone who's not where they want to be and the conversations always go the same way. They just give you a bunch of excuses why they don't want to change or they don't want to get out of their comfort zone or they're afraid of something. And, and when that's all that we think about, then that's all we're ever going to get. But if you get somebody who doesn't have that mindset, who says, hell yeah, I'll do whatever, whatever you want me to do, man, our brains adapt so quickly when you put them into new challenging you know, environments and circumstances that I don't know that there's a person out there that wants it that couldn't be making a hundred grand a year in a couple months. Is that the avatar that you want to be? You want to be your, your jackpot avatar of people you want to coach? The yeah, 7-Eleven dude? You always ask the best questions, Pat. That's why they got you doing this. I think those are the guys that I end up drawn to because I see myself in them. I grew up as a kid who never thought he was going to have much opportunity and just no one was really looking at me and seeing much. Tim Rhodes is the first guy that ever did. That's why I'm here. I just meant so much to me that he reached out and said, I see something in you, which, which I wasn't getting. I don't know that it would be healthy for me to stay in that avatar though. Like I think that that probably has a lot to do with how I identify myself as an underdog. And for me to take the next evolution in life, I need to start seeing myself as talent and Certainly the, yeah, it's certainly the widest avatar. I mean, chances yeah. are, right, you can, I mean, and yeah, and, and, and I mean, and, and I know you probably talked to Tim already, but, uh, you know, as we're building um, GBJV, Go Bundits Junior Varsity, you know, it'd be a great thing to have you involved in, especially if you identify with that, right? Like, like GBJV is going to be, um, the equivalent of M1, right? March to a million. And so from zero to a million is GBJV. You know, we've lately, we've, you know, with our book uh, funnel, we've gotten, you know, hundreds and hundreds of, of people that don't qualify for GoBundance. So, so it's yeah, certainly the we biggest were, yeah, thing. I didn't know that was a thing, but it's awesome that that's what's happening. Cause I it's think a that's thought. Yeah. It's not well, a thing yet, but <laughs> thoughts are things. So, you know, I'll get you, I'll, I'll get you involved. Yeah. I would love that. Yeah. Okay. So uh, uh, let's let's talk about you know your expertise, which is single family homes, right? Single family. Yeah. How many rentals do you have? I've got thirty five single family homes across the country. Damn, son. And what states are they in? California, Arizona, Florida, uh, Georgia, Milwaukee, uh, anywhere else? Uh, Arkansas. That's the other one. Arkansas. So uh, how many of those would you say, okay, you got 35, uh, you know, be realistic here. How many of those didn't profit last year? Uh, three of them. Three. Yeah. Good numbers. That's good. Yeah. So three of them. And then so 32 did profit. That's great, dude. Obviously, you know how to do it. And, uh, and, and let's talk about your books, right? Like what's, what are the names of the books? First one was called Long Distance Real Estate Investing. That's the book where I spell out, you know, this is how you go invest in another state. And the second one was Buy, Rehab, Rent, Refinance, Repeat. And that's where I spell out the Burr strategy. Nice. Which one sells more? Burr. Burr's like on fire right now. It's been out about three and a half, four months. It sold 50,000 copies. It's a top selling real estate book on Amazon. And in, in the real estate category. And in the business paddock category, I'm right in between the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss and Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. That's pretty cool. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Some of the classics, right? Mm -hmm. I think you're gonna be classic. Your books will be classic, Greeny. I mean, those are those are awesome. Okay, so let's let's dig a little bit into your one sheet here. So what is your horizontal income? Horizontal income is hundred and twenty thousand a year. 10 grand a month. And so what are your monthly bills personally for you? Right now, they're right around like 6,000, 6,500. That's highest that they've ever been. Okay. So you're single, right? Yeah. Yeah. No kids. No kids. Okay. So 6,000 is low as dirt. I mean, but, but like what? So do you have a mortgage? Do you have a car? Like, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's not very much, you know? Yeah, so I've, <laughs> I bought a foreclosure in 2013 uh, that okay. I planned on on buying and then selling and making money on. I, I got a really good deal. I bought it for 280. It was worth like 410 when I bought it. And the market just kept going up. And now it's at the point where if I sell it, I got to spend so much to buy a new house and have a new property tax basis. I won't sell it. So I mean, like, you know, it's two grand a month or so for that house. Um, but I've got five bedrooms in it. And now I just, what I started doing is renting out the rooms to the guys that come work for me as like an intern. So it's almost going to be paying for itself pretty soon here. My, my car payment's like 400 bucks a month. I just drive a, a Camry, 
you know, it's, it's a pretty cheap car. The majority of the money that I'm spending is on like travel. So if I go fly somewhere as the hotel fees, like I do a lot of that stuff now I never did. And then just honestly food, I don't really ever take the time to buy food, go cook the food, bring the food with me. I'm almost always eating on the go. So that ends up, I mean, it adds up a lot. If you just look at, you know, every time you got to eat, you spent 10 or 15 bucks, you do that twice a day for the whole month, that becomes a pretty significant expense. So that's where most of the money that I'm spending goes to. That's cool. So what percentage does that make you? I think I'm about like a 140 percenter right now. That's what, that's what I was going to guess. Yeah, 140. Yeah. Pretty easy math, guys. If you just do that, you know, 10 grand and then six, that's uh, six plus or 6,500. So that's about 140 You know, let me interrupt you though, Pat. I listen to your podcast, your Real Estate Rockstars podcast, just about every episode. You do this math pretty effing quick in your mind. Dude. You <laughs> always impress me because you don't come across like a numbers guy when someone meets you. You'd see more of like an I or a DI on the disc. But man, you're good when it comes to math really quick. Oh, thanks. I never really think about that. You know what I mean? It just kind of... I just like doing them in my head, like, you know, it's funny yeah. because like what, what my thing is with kids, whenever I go to a restaurant now with kids, um, anybody's kid, I, I hand them the bill and I say, here, tw- give them a 20% tip. And they always look at me like I'm crazy and I'm like, do it, do it. Cause I think it's great for kids to figure out how to do 20%. And in my mind, I'm like, this is easy, right? It'll take 10% times two. You know, and, and, uh, but the kids, they just don't get it. You know what I mean? And then once in a while, a kid will be like, oh yeah, that I got it. I got it. And I guess that goes to what you're saying. Some people can just kind of get it, you know, and be like, well, I think boom. some people want to get it. Like if you sat someone down and said, what's the bill? It's $34. All right. So that very first number right there, that three, that's 10%, right? What's two threes. That's six. So that's 20%, right? It, I, there's not a lot of people that just could not understand that concept, but I think there is a lot of people that just don't care. Yeah. You know, like, and I think that's probably like the bigger problem is someone like you, whatever you went through in life, you cared about that stuff, whether it's from mm-hmm. being an agent or wanting to be successful. So your mind went and looked for what are the little pieces that I need to help me get to where I want to go. And I mean, we're just in an amazing economy from 2013 to now. You can't miss everything everyone does is so good. And it, it makes it hard to, for people to want to dig deep and find out how to be better because everything just kind of comes easy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you think that'll change? Oh yeah. I think it's going to change. I don't know when it's going to change. Uh, I mean, I, I think about this all the time because when you own property, you start to think about this kind of stuff, right? Or, or as you own businesses, I think that we should have went through a really, really difficult time in the last recession. We deserved that, right? Like the country screwed up and rather than actually trimming the, the budget, paying bills off, we should have had like 15 really lean years where we, we paid the deficit down and we learned our lesson, but we didn't. What we did was we just did quantitative easing, shoved a ton of money into the economy and boom, we were off and running again. Well, that means inflation is starting to happen. And that's why you see that real estate's just going up and, and making money is really easy and interest rates have kept super low. Uh, when it does catch up with us, I think that there's two options. It'll be, okay, now are we going to tighten our belt and we're going to pay the price we should have paid before? Or are we just going to print even more money? And that's my fear is that we're now in the point where everyone's like, ah, I don't want to be the one in the generation to pay this price. Let's just cheapen the dollar and just keep things going. And I think inflation is just going to like run rampant for a long time in America so that it looks like our economy is doing well, but it's we're just high on methamphetamine, basically on a four day binge working all day long, but our body's going to collapse at the end of it, you know? So I want to own as much real estate as I can while that's happening. Fascinating. Fascinating. Well, you want to own as much real estate as you can, but you you also don't want to be too leveraged. You know what I mean? You want to, you want your LDV to be something reasonable. What is yours? That's, that's tricky, man. Cause I actually do want to be as leveraged as I possibly can be. I want to owe as much money as I can when inflation hits, because then I'm paying it back with really cheap dollars. That's kind of the, the point of what I'm trying to do. What I don't want is to be like uh, exposed to where I could lose the property because it doesn't cash flow enough. The leverage itself, I would put as much on there as I could, as long as it's generating revenue. And as inflation goes up, well, rent should be going up too. So I should be fine. You know, it's a gamble because what if the opposite happens, you know? Uh, and, and then all of a sudden then like the dollar starts to go down in value all the time and rents could be dropping. It's just, I've never seen that when I look it, at the it, history it, of America. What do you mean that rents do go down? Okay. So that's, you would know better than me. You've done this for a long time, yeah, right? What's I mean, the time I think when people you are, are for, you know, I mean, I think people are, are, I've had rents go down. What, they certainly go down. They, 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 they stay, 
you know, you know, here's the thing. Here's where people screw up in thinking that rents don't go down. Like if you have a property that you rent out and then the tenant moves out and then you put it on the market for rent and you don't get another tenant for four months and that son of a bitch is empty for four months and then you rent it for the next 12, your rent, your per month rent is the average of the 12 months, not the average of the eight months. So, you know, that that's kind of what happens. You know what I mean? Rent's a... If you rent for something for twelve hundred, it might rent again for twelve hundred. But if it sits empty for four months, it's um, it's the same thing as you getting whatever. I can't even do the math that fast, but you know, yeah. a lot less, like a thousand a month, and that's where it starts. You know. So what if you had just not renting did, right away? When it didn't rent for twelve hundred, what if you had just dropped it to a thousand? You yeah, and then and then people would say, hey, rents went down. Well, or they just stopped going up. It's very similar to the housing market, right? That house sold for 400, then 420, then 440. And by the time you get the listing, your client's saying, I want it for 460 because they're looking at the trend. Right. So we saw that like maybe a year ago, nine months ago, when interest rates went up pretty quickly over a couple of months. Dude, our market out here, particularly San Francisco, it stopped completely. It just froze. Houses that were selling over asking price and bidding wars just started to sit there. You'd see houses in San Francisco on the market 90 days. I think the overall price has dropped to 16%, but it felt much more significant. Wait a minute. When is this? Uh, now? No, it's this happening was like now? six to nine months ago we, when, the, when the Fed raised rates. They've dropped them recently. Yeah. Uh, but we, we had a period where they, they went up three times in like a six to nine week period and everything just froze. Everyone got really worried. So what happened is you had to drop your listing back down to where the comp showed that it should have been. So it looked like prices dropped, but if you just looked at it like, objectively, that's where it should have been priced in the first place. We just used the prices going up and up and up and trying to get ahead of that curve uh, as prices were raising. And I wonder if it's similar with rents where, yeah, you were getting 1200 a month or you could have gotten it, but all the other comps around you were showing somewhere between 1000 and 1050 or 1100 and we just got greedy. You know, I'm thinking of more like over a five to 10 year period did rents go down every yeah, single Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's long-term you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's interesting, but you know, time will tell. Let's, um, th that, that's fascinating. So you're, you're continuing to buy. You're not slowing down. No, I'm slowing down my buying 100%. You uh, are. But, yeah, but that's not because I'm afraid that I won't be able to keep the house. It's more that as, as there's so many other people that get into real estate investing because the economy is so good, the work it takes me to get a, a winner it stops, it starts to take so much more work that I could put my time into selling houses for somebody else or writing a book or starting a mastermind and get a better return on my time. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly a lot more money, a lot more cash, you know what yeah. I mean? Than a house, right? And less risk. Is, and you want that cash when the market drops because that's when you're going to make your big money, right? Anything I pick up now is like, I might get a single here and there, but if I'm earning cash and storing it away, when the market drops, it's like everything I bought during 2009 through 2013 was a home run grand slam type deal. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. What did, do you have any money in the stock market? Nothing. Zip. Zip. Do you have any money in anything else but real estate? No, I mean, I own a couple mortgage notes and, and like note funds and I, you know, I put some into flipping and I put some into multifamily. I'm in a couple of the, the DAP stuff that you're in, but it's all in some form of real estate. Oh yeah. Okay. So now you're going into multifamily. I know uh, you're learning a lot from Cushman. Tell me what you're learning. Tell me why you're doing that. Yeah, I'm, I'm learning multifamily because my goal is to be the top real estate investing educator in the country. I want to be the, when you think about, hey, how do I learn how to real estate invest? Everyone should think of David Green. That's what I'm trying to build. And then have all these other outside companies that are like, uh, like uh, that's my hub is I'm the guy that teaches people. And I got these spokes that come out that I have like passive income set up, passive businesses. So part of the reason is I have to learn this space. I understand it, but I don't understand it at a deep of a level as a guy like Andrew does. And then I think we have a really big correction coming in the multifamily space. I think that interest rates are super low and there is a thirst for yield that's driving people to make kind of foolish decisions. Maybe not people we know, but definitely as a bigger pockets co-host, I'm starting to see people teaching others how to invest in multifamily. They've been doing it for two years and don't really know what they're doing at all, but they've won because cap rates keep going down and, and that's a, a largely affected by the fact that people got to put their money somewhere. You cannot keep it in the bank, right? And so they're making riskier and riskier deals and paying more and more than they should. And all it would take is interest rates to go back up to 8%. That's it. 
And all of a sudden, all these people fueling syndicator deals are like, give me back my money. I don't want that 7% return with risk. I want to go put it in the bank at Wells Fargo, open a CD and get eight or 9% over there. And what's going to happen to all these people that can raise money so easily and go buy a deal is they got nothing to buy. And as those properties have to be refinanced, boom, they're all going to hit the market and they're going to sell and they're probably not going to sell for nearly as much and cap rates are going to go back up again. And, and at that point, I want to be ready to strike with capital, a team of people that are trained and the knowledge of how to do it. That's awesome, dude. I love that. I love that. Okay. All right. So let's switch gears. Talk to me about uh, giving back. What do you give? How do you give back? So I, the main way that I get back is through my, my church. I give 10% of my income to the church and then they use it for all kinds of different cool stuff. A lot of what they're doing right now is building wells in Africa and, and supporting people out in there. I do a lot of educating people for free, like free meetups and free seminars where I'm teaching other people, Hey, how to invest in real estate and trying to get someone who's never been exposed to the stuff that you and I get exposed to from our, from GoBundance, that there's a different way to think. There's a different way to be, you know, I think that in general in America, there's this reputation around money that it's bad and wanting it is bad. But if you, if you had to pick one thing about somebody's life to change, to make it better, it would probably be help them make more money. Just frankly, this earning more money opens up doors for a ton of other things. It removes a ton of stress from your life. You know, we complain about the stress of business, but I don't complain about the stress of wondering if I get a flat tire, how am I going to make it to work the next day? You know, yeah, crazy. So that's one of the, yeah, it's huge. And, and people live that way every single day. And, and uh, I just, I haven't had to worry about that since I was seven years old or something. I, I was saving money from the time I was a little kid, my birthday money, everything. I never had a wonder what am I going to do because I don't have money and trying to help other people understand that a lot of the anxiety you live in and the fear that you live in, you've always wanted to go do this thing, but you're scared. If you ask them the practical reasons why they're scared, it's almost always because what if, what if I don't make enough money? We, we're so clueless. You know, I was reading and I was reading in Wall Street Journal this morning, like Japan has opened up immigration, meaning they're one of the only countries in the world that actually wants immigrants. But the cool thing is they're, they're saying, okay, you got to speak fluent Japanese before you even apply, right? So I was talking about all these people in like these poor countries in like the Philippines and they, have, they live on fucking dirt floors and stuff, right? And they're learning Japanese, right? And then they're going to go over there and they become nurses and, and, and do all kinds of jobs. They can make 15 to 20 times what they make in the Philippines in Japan. And Japan wants them, right? Because they need more workers. And I thought, you know, this is stuff we don't even think about, right? Like an Amer you tell some American kid, you got to learn Japanese. It ain't happening, right? But this is like, hey, it might as well be like you want to earn a mil you want to have a million dollars cash learn japanese you'll learn japanese right but is it for these filipino women it's like yeah, yeah. <laughs> well that i'm gonna learn japanese because i'm gonna get 15 to 20 times the amount of money are you kidding me it speaks to what we discussed earlier where a there's a huge need for talent that we just don't acknowledge right we, we are always pointing out it's hard to make it in this country if you're not this born into the perfect situation it's not fair to you and and what the reality is that i see is there's a ton of businesses that are like dying for someone to come in and solve a problem and do work that they've already created for you to do and they can't find people to do it and you know the second piece of what you just mentioned there has to do with the fact that in our country, because I think it is so easy, we resent when we want something, we resent a condition being put on it for us. So we would never say in America, you got to go learn Japanese. That's a condition to get what you want. What we would say is we need to elect a politician that makes it so it is against the law to require someone to learn Japanese. In fact, that, co that, that company has to learn the, the Tagalog if they want to hire Filipino people to make it easier for a Filipino immigrant to get into Japan. And that's what like this has turned into. And it, it just doesn't work. Human nature doesn't work that way. And yet we're trying to force, <laughs> force that to be the case. It drives me nuts. That's funny, man. That's a funny analogy. And now I agree with you. I agree, especially there in California. Good Lord. Like what's going on in Sacramento with all this rent control? Yeah, that's all we hear about all the time. Um, and it's, it's just typical of how Californians think, right? Try is it bad? Is this day. rent control bad or is it just kind of just a name? No, I don't think it's going to actually have the impact that it that people are worried it's going to have. What it's going to do is is mean investors won't buy here as often, and only people that buy will be people that want to live here. And then you're going to see like Airbnb 
people are going to buy their house to live in and then try to Airbnb it out. And then they're going to have to crack down on Airbnb. And, you know, that's kind of the problem. I mean, we're getting off the rails here with government. It never ends. Yeah. It never yeah. ends. Right. And the that's government can do anything, dude. A friend of mine built a house here in Folly Beach, South Carolina that has all these doors on the outside. And he and his whole intention of building is like a $1.5 million house. It has like doors on the outside. His intention was to rent an Airbnb, um, like individual bedrooms. Right. And uh, have a shared shared kitchen and the whole thing got approved no problem right and uh, he started doing it and then they made a law saying that he couldn't do it after he did it you know what i mean after he built it and all <laughs> and they and don't I'll, care at all no one's gonna feel bad they for don't that. give a shit and i said uh, did they grandfather you because he's the first guy that did it on the island he said hell no there's no grandfather he's like Ew. he said no and and you're sending the message to every entrepreneur out there, you're a bad guy doing bad things. Don't try to better yourself. And they're sending the message to everyone out there who's not doing shit. Hey, we're going to make it easier for you to not do shit because you deserve that. And all that's going to lead to is us having like massive social security problems as everybody just relies on the government to take care of them, which a lot of people in government want because that's how you get votes, right? You go tell someone, hey, I'm going to give you something for free. They're going to vote for you. And I used to just get so like anxious and depressed thinking about what was going on around me and I've just learned instead of getting upset about these laws changing like Sacramento I need to be grateful for it because for those of us that can overcome that and try a little bit harder and learn Japanese now because that's what it takes to get you know you made it so I just my the old way didn't work I got to be a little better less competition will do that with me right I'll have a bigger share of what I'm going for if I have that mindset of being able to keep adapting no absolutely The Wrong Tribe Confounds, The Right Tribe Compounds. Get your free copy of the runaway bestseller Tribe of Millionaires, a $20 value at tribeofmillionaires.com free. Just pay the shipping. That's tribeofmillionaires.com. So let's talk about a little bit about like some wins. Like what do you, like in the last say 18 months, right? last year and so far this year, what are your five biggest wins? Oh, that's such a, I mean, that's a cool question because my life has changed more in the last two years than it had in the, you know, 34 years before that. It's rapidly, rapidly changing. So I used to listen to Bigger Pockets as a podcast and go on the website and I didn't know any other human being that was into it. It wasn't until I got into GoBundance and I think I met two people that also knew about it. And I was like, oh, I'm not the only one. There's other people that know <laughs> that website, right? I loved, loved, loved it. I never dreamed in a million years I would have been interviewed on the podcast. So like getting interviewed on it to me was the coolest thing I had ever done in my life. And then you fast forward a couple of years and I'm best friends with the guy like Brandon that I listened to on there and really liked and respected. I'm co-hosting the podcast myself and I'm getting told that I do a really good job. It's not like I just got charity. Like people like the work I'm doing on there and I've written two books with them that went on to be bestsellers. So I mean, it's just one of those things like you could write a movie about it, as far as in my own mind, how blessed I am to be in the position I'm in right now that I never, ever, ever thought I would be even, I just thought I was lucky to be even be in a group like abundance. I'd get there and I'd be like, I don't belong in this place at all. <laughs> well, talk, to me, talk to me about be, being an author, right? Like, like, did, I mean, have you always been good at writing? No, well, I don't, I'm not bad at writing, but I never considered it a strength of mine. I think I've always been good at teaching and explaining right? I think that that's, that's why I use a lot of analogies because growing up, there was no one to teach me something. My dad wasn't interested in teaching me anything. Uh, I would get, you know, I was, I asked a lot of questions and I kind of get beaten down for asking too many questions. So I had this, like, I wish there was someone out there that could just explain this to me. I remember playing baseball. I finally had a coach in seventh grade that showed me like, you got to get your glove out in front of you when you're trying to catch these grounders. You got your glove between your legs and it doesn't give you enough time to adapt to the ball taking a bad bounce. And that tiny piece of information went from me having to play first base to shortstop. I could just field everything. And I was just thinking like, how the hell had no one told me that? My, every coach I ever had, nobody said that. And I just saw the power in being able to like influence another human being by figuring out the little piece that they're missing and showing them if you just did that one little tiny thing different, boom, you'd have results. So I grew up like as I learned something new in my head, I was having conversations with people they didn't know it, teaching them about it. I just was naturally that way. So when I got a chance to write a book, man, I, I was just putting into words the stuff that was going through my head all the time anyway. How about these acronyms? Because you, you come up with some brilliant acronyms, just like pull them out of your butt. Like, what, how do you do that? Like, is that always something that you, you, you I mean, before you wrote books, did you think in acronyms? 
You like the analogy thing? That would, that would yeah, or no, no, no. Like, you know, buy, b- buy, what is it? Buy, you know. Rehab, like, refinance, repeat. Yeah. yeah, that. And then and then the other ones that you used in your first book, because I read your first book and you had a whole bunch of, you know, ones like, I can't remember the exact ones, but you had all these ones that were like easy to remember. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, Brandon came up with Burr. So I give him credit for that. I ran with it. But that is a, coming up with acronyms is a byproduct of your desire to help somebody understand something. So Mm. I could tell you over five minutes, this is how it works. And you'll nod your head and think this is brilliant. But when you walk away, you're not going to remember what much of what I said. You're just going to remember that you thought I was brilliant. So that's what we do is we want to pat our own egos. So we walk around explaining something to somebody in a way that makes us look smart and it never helps them. Well, when you actually want to make sure Pat can recall what I told him, you give him an acronym and walk him through how to remember it because that means I care about you. It's not just about my own ego. And I think that's like, that's when, when we're asking questions like that, like, man, how could I do what he does? Start with, do you even give a shit if the person you're talking to improves or is it you just wanting to do it for your own gratification? Right, right. And I, and I love you. Yesterday or today was, well, I just watched a video of you. You're talking about how to actually uh, remember shit, right? How to actually learn. Tell, tell me about that. Yeah. So what I found is that if I, as I'm learning a new concept, so I'm learning multifamily investing at a deeper level. If I just watch somebody else do it and I, I can comprehend what they're doing, it's very easy to trick myself into thinking I understand it because I am following someone else do it and I'm not asking questions. I get it. But then when someone says, hey, explain to me how this works, I'm like, uh, what did he do again? Right? Like we've all had that experience. So as I'm learning it, I'm asking questions so that I could explain it to you, Pat, when I'm done. Right? I'm, as I'm going through it, I'm assuming I'm going to sit down with Pat Hyben and I'm going to show him what goes into what box, how we get the number that goes there, how this formula works. Once you understand like how the formulas work, you see the most important part of a formula. So for example, like how are multifamilies uh, valued? Well, you take the net operating income and you divide it by the cap rate and boom, you have a value. Well, so you got two levers right there. I can do things to, to impact the net operating income, which are my income and my expenses. And most of the time we'll spend our time discussing how you do that. Well, you've also got the cap rate, which is probably like a lever 10 times more powerful. You could do a ton of work to influence your NOI and your cap rate could drop a a tiny bit and it's going to be worth more because the cap rate dropped. So understanding that, now I know cap rate is a more powerful influence than actual NOI. So if I see a market starting to shift and cap rates are expanding, I'm not even going to waste my time trying to figure out how I'm going to make that property perform better because I can't keep up with the cap rate that's raising. I can explain that to you because when I was learning it, I was asking these questions like, which of these influences it more? If I change what's in this box, how does the formula differ? What about if it's in that box? The other way would just be watching somebody do it and saying, oh, I get it. This is the formula. I understand the formula. What's next? I don't really understand the way to apply that in a way that would make me successful. You know, there's a, there's a way of understanding how basketball works. Oh yeah. I know what that play is. I know what a pick and roll is. I know what a rebound is. And then there's, what are the best teams doing and why is it working and what do they do? Well, when you understand that you can take those principles and apply it to your own team. So, I mean, that's something I'm just fascinated by because it stops you from tricking yourself into thinking you understand something. Most of us are not as successful as we want to be because we told ourselves, Oh, I know that, but we're not doing anything with it. So do you really know it? Yeah. Crazy. That's cool, man. Um, okay. So, all right, let's shift gears a little bit. I'm going to take you to a little visualization here. I know it's probably not your thing, but uh, so in, in David Green's life, right? Uh, just, just visualize this, right? These, these awesome poignant moments, right? There's this moment of you, you know, uh, sticking the, your mitt out and the ball comes right into it and you're like, holy dirt, you know, this is life-changing. I actually caught it rather than going through my legs four times in a row before this, right? And that's like a major moment in your life. Then there's the moment where, you know, you meet Dave, uh, you meet uh, Brandon Turner for the first time and you guys are driving a convertible in Maui or surfing in Maui or, or whatever it is. You, you know, there's these moments that kind of are going through your mind. Let's say you're in your deathbed and, and just like in the movies, these moments are are going through your visual mind, right? So you have these five that you've already completed. We're not going to, you've pretty much already said what they were, but you're 36, right? In the next, you know, from now until the time that you do die, you're going to have five more of these visuals so that when you die, you're going to have 10 total, five you've already seen, five you haven't seen. 
What are the five you haven't seen? Wow, that's so good. That's really good, Pat. It's giving me tingles. All right. Uh, the first would be I found a way to build a team so that instead of me analyzing properties and filling a funnel up with deals, I've hired an analyst. I've hired a person to build this funnel and fill it up. And I've got a team of people that are buying properties you know, for my company or for me without me being the one to do the work. I've just given them the standard that we have to hit and the skills that they need. And that's, that's operating as a passive business. So, you know, my job is just to, to fill up, make as much money as I can to put into that business. That'd be a big one. Another one would be if my name was synonymous with real estate, just in America, when you, when you heard the name David Green, you immediately just thought like, boom, real estate. You know, when you hear Dr. House, you think of that TV show, he's synonymous with, with that. That'd be a pretty big moment for me to hit that. I think having the confidence to believe that the thoughts that run in through my head are, are trustworthy and they're based on truth. You know, there's a lot of times I meet somebody and I, I hear him talking and I think what this guy really needs to hear is this, but I don't say it. I keep it to myself because I think like, well, I don't have a right to say something that personal or I haven't earned the right to talk to this guy or that's crazy. But a lot of the time I look back and I see something they went through and I'm just like, fuck, if I would have told that guy what I was thinking that would have made a big impact in his marriage or him not losing his job or whatever it was. You know, I'd like to, I'd like to be able to say that I turned a corner and just said, I trust myself enough that when I have those feelings or those thoughts that I share that with the person who needs to hear it without worrying about, you know, what, what's going to come out of it. I'd like to have a Lamborghini. That's a kind of a stupid one, but since I was a little kid, I've always wanted to have one. Um, so I'd probably need a kind of house I could keep a Lamborghini in without getting it robbed or <laughs> stolen at some point, right? So maybe that's the second one. Having a dream house with like a nice big pool where you could throw throw parties and meet real estate clients and and, and have an influence on people, help share the the good things that are going on in, in your life while also enjoying it. Instead of it having to be work or or fun, you could combine the two together. That's hilarious, that's man. You know, it's funny because when I am, um, and those are great, by the way, I love them, uh, especially the one about the name being synonymous, right? Like the, the hall of fame, right? The, the yeah. Kiyosaki, you yes. know what I mean? Kiyosaki, David Green, you know what I mean? Like right, right mm -hmm. there, you know, who's, who's, who, that's, that's a great goal. I think you're going to make that one actually the, the trajectory that you're on with these first two books. I mean, it's uh seems like a no brainer. It seems like it's a, you just keep doing what you're doing. But uh, it reminded me, you know, my first house that I ever bought, I, um, I was a real estate agent and it was a townhouse. I was frugal. And then next door was a section eight rental and this lady with like four kids, you know, was there. And I, I, you know, I had a good relationship with her, but she was, you know, she, she didn't work. And, and uh, what do you want to say? She just was a section eight tenant. So let's just say, and, yeah. and I, I bought a BMW, a brand new BMW because as a real estate agent, I wanted to look good and I was doing good. And I drove it. I remember I drove it home with the temporary tags, Parked in front, it was all shiny. She came up to me. She's like, Pat, what are you thinking? You can't have that here. <laughs> That's exactly right. He's like, you cannot have that here. You know, she was like, I've taken too many of those reports as a cop. Like, That's <laughs> right. <laughs> she was like, you're a dumbass. You know what I mean? I was like, I was like oh, wow. Yeah, it's a true story. And then another true story is a couple of months later, she stabbed her stabbed her mom. Her mom came over for dinner and they got in an argument. She stabbed her. I'm like, oh my God, geez. And that's when I was like, yeah. we, need, we need to move. We need to rent this thing out. <laughs> you know? well, see, I mean, that's just such a good example of like that woman didn't have much because of her own mindset, right? Like when she got pissed at someone, she thought I should stab them. That's how she handled problems. <laughs> Having a Having a country that's like, how do we make it easier for that person to do well is not doing them any favors, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, how do we help that person to think the way that successful people think? We don't stab each other and we get mad. Right. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Yeah. No, absolutely right. You know what I mean? I, I, it's, uh, it's crazy, dude. All right, buddy. Well, th this has been a blast. I mean, you shared a lot. We didn't stick to the one sheet much, but we kind of did with the, with the future greatest hits and the past greatest hits. I kind of tricked you into those. And, and um, anything else you want to share with everybody while I got you on here? I just want to thank the guys in GoBundance for like 
honestly, there's a lot of guys in this group that made an effort to make me feel more comfortable seeing that I was wildly uncomfortable with goat bunnets. I mean, just, you know, no, we're not all the same. There's guys that like to jump up and down and clap hands and, and sing and dance. And there's guys like me that just want to like claw my eyeballs out of my face when that's going on. But I never got judged by other people for not being into it ever, you know, and had I been, I probably wouldn't have come back. And had I not come back, I wouldn't have had a lot of the stuff that's happened that we talked about was a direct association with abundance. So if you're one of those people that, that saw me and felt any kind of compassion or felt bad for me or made me feel more uncomfortable, I needed that. And like some of my success belongs to those people. They may never hear about it. They may never know about it, but I know about it. And, you know, God knows about that. So that's just what I would probably like to say is, is keep an eye on, keep doing that kind of stuff for other people. Cause you don't know like the impact that this was going to have on a person like me. And it'd been easy to say like, Oh, he's not one of us. He doesn't do things like we do. He doesn't need to be in the group. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. I appreciate you sharing that. And uh, it's been great having you in the group and, and uh, all the, all the, the networking that you've done of introducing Brandon and, and Josh and everybody else, you got probably one of the biggest downlines in the, in the group. Do you know how many people you have in your downline there for, for referrals? No, but I mean, it's a lot. I think in the last <laughs> year, I, I'm getting emails like every week saying somebody joined, you know, from you. It's pretty cool. That's incredible. Oh, you know what I was going to ask you? I was going to ask you one thing off topic. Uh, I was in Switzerland uh, not too long ago. And of course, it's a time difference. And I'm like, you know, I don't know what I was doing, checking texts or whatever. And I sent a text or, or something and, uh, and you responded and you said, dude, I can't believe you're awake too. And I guess in your, in your time, it was like three in the morning. And my time, it was yeah. like noon or something. And I go, of course, I'm awake. I'm eating lunch or something like that. And you're like, oh, and then I, then I realized there was a time difference. But then I started thinking about it. I'm like, what the hell is he doing up at 3 a.m.? <laughs> <laughs> Are you an insomniac? Do you, do you have trouble sleeping? I mean, do you have, uh, do you, or do you just stay up all night working? What do you do? And, that, no, and the reason I'm asking is because I think that's the second time that's happened. <laughs> Yeah, that's not uncommon at all. You know, I go through, I go through phases of life where I, I don't sleep or I can't sleep and it's, it's tricky for me. Um, but it's usually because like there's some change going on, like I'm being moved, whether you want to call it God or fate or the universe or whatever in a new direction. And I'm resisting it. You know, I'm not ready to take that step or I'm doubting myself. And that those periods of night where I can't sleep and I can't stop thinking about it are usually where like my resistance is just slowly being broken down. And then you finally get to that point where you give up and you're like, okay, I'll go with it. You know, like leaving a cop and being a real estate agent, same thing happened to me for three months probably is I just fought like I don't have what it takes. And then I go do it and, and I not only become like the, you know, the top selling agent in my office in my first year, but I made more money that year than I ever did in my best year as a cop, which was my big fear of, of not leaving, you know? So that's just something like until I just embrace the changes that are coming and go with it, it's probably going to be that way. But then, I, mean, I think a lot of us as entrepreneurs, we also have moments where we're so jazzed or juiced up about whatever we're working on that we're staying up until we just can't keep our eyes open anymore doing it. Do, That's the case a lot of the time. Do you, do you find, is that, is, that when you, is that when you write? Yeah, I usually write at the end of the day um, or throughout the day. But now I've always looked at myself, like I, I envy the guys that can just go to sleep right away and wake up right away. They're like a sports car. They just take off and boom, the morning hits and they're off zero to 60 in three seconds. And when it's time to stop, they just slam on the brakes. They stop in five seconds and they're sleeping. I don't know how on earth they do it. I wish I could. I'm like a train. When I wake up in the mornings, it takes me a couple hours to be like any form of excited about anything. You could say, David, we're going to get up. We're going to like, we're going to run jet skis with hot chicks all day long. And I'd just be like, Oh, no, I'll just sleep. Man. Go have fun. I, just don't, I don't care. And then at the end of the night, when I know it's time to shut it down, I just don't want to, I could just push myself. And that's like part of how I made it as a cop is I'd work 20 hours in a row, sleep for three, get up, work another 20 hours and just force myself to go. So, you know, I'm kind of wired that way, but I wish I could be the other way. Yeah, that's that's funny. It's uh, well, that's good. Now, at bigger pockets, do they? Um, you, when you write these books, do you like what percentage? Like Tribe of Millionaires. Truth be told, you know Dan Clements came to came to Japan with us. You know he he listened to twenty seven. Uh, you know millionaire multimillionaires you know, hack at each other for two weeks straight, you know, going over their one sheets and giving each other advice and, and talking. And, uh, you know, he helped create this story and, and it was an easy process, right? 
you know, because we had him. Like 80% of it was Dan and 20% was, you know, Pat Iben or David and Tim and Mike. You know, what would, if your books, what percentage is David Green? Like what kind of uh, help do they give you? Uh, that's 100% me. I, 100% I don't, I don't get any support, any help. I get, if anything, they maybe make some, add some hurdles in there that makes it tougher to do it. Um, like, like there's a bunch of other people involved in, in, in veto powers or yes, it could go and they make my job harder because I have to convince them why uh, they should let me do the thing that I want to do. But they're not, they're not going to help you write the book at all. I, you got to come up with an outline, then, then they have to approve your outline. And they may say, now do this, do it differently, or add this thing, which you have to go make, find a way to make it work. Then I'm going to write the whole thing. Then they're going to tell me the parts that they didn't like about what I wrote. And then I'm going to have to be the one to change that. They're not going to change it for me. You know, and then I, maybe there's like an editor that goes through. So maybe 99% me that maybe does some spell check type stuff yeah. after I've looked at it. But that's it. The rest of it's, it's all me. Wow, that's great, dude. I mean, that is so hard for anybody to do. I mean, so hard because they, they come out really good. Well, I, I appreciate that a lot. I think that part of the reason I'm committed to being an author now is getting the process of getting kicked in the teeth to learn how to do this was so painful that there's no way I'm going to not keep going. It's like learning how to snowboard. It is not fun the first time you go out there. And if you stick with it, that's why you love it so much because you paid a price to get there. I wrote a book that wasn't published for bigger pockets. It was just a book I give out to clients, how to sell your house in 10 days or sorry, how to sell your house for top dollar. And I wrote it in a week. Like start to finish was about 10 days for all the editing and everything. But I, I, I was so good at that system of writing a book from doing it a few times that I wrote the book in, in a week because I just stuck with it and I figured out where do I need to be more efficient, what takes up all my time. So now I'm really good at, at writing books, but that's because I had to do everything myself. They weren't giving you any help. Yeah, that's fast. I mean, you got genius there. So, you know, that, I, Thanks, I, I think you should keep banging on that. I mean, that's nobody, very few people can do that. Very few people, even the best writers now, you know, they, they, they have people writing them for them and, and you know, a, a large portion of them. So that's awesome, dude. Well, congrats. Thanks so much for uh, taking time out of your busy day, boss, and coming on. And uh, I look forward to seeing you in uh, Aspen, if not before. Thanks, Pat. It was a blast. In life, to be honest, I failed as much as I've succeeded, but I love my wife, I love my life, and I wish you my kind of success. Don't step to me, don't step to me, bitch. Now you can create.